Welcome to the award-winning Legal Toolkit podcast, only on the Legal Talk Network. Twice a month, we're delivering law practice management tips and tricks directly to your ear holes. My name is Jared Korea, and because David Letterman is busy filming his Netflix show, I'm your host. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys. Find us online at www.redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads. You can find out more about Gideon at www.gideon.legal. Before we get rolling, I'd like to take a moment to thank my mom for listening to every episode of the show. I'd also like to thank our sponsors. They're the reasons you're listening to the show right now. You're welcome, Mom. We would like to thank Alert Communications for sponsoring this podcast. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Scorpion is the leading provider of marketing solutions for the legal industry. With nearly 20 years of experience serving attorneys, Scorpion can help grow your practice. Learn more at scorpionlegal.com. Abby Connect has delivered premium live receptionist and answering services to lawyers since 2006. You can try them out for free at abbyconnect.com. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers. Providing solutions since 1999, TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms big and small. www.timesolve.com. So let's kick this episode off with something completely different. I promised I was going to talk about my interests outside the law, and that's what we're going to do right now. So I want to talk to you a little bit about music, which I love. I listen to a lot of music, and I want to talk to you today about Tom Petty. I would tell you that it's practically un-American to dislike Tom Petty. And it's hard to find like nearly universally liked public figures, including in the music industry. For example, would it surprise you if I told you that I actually don't like Bruce Springsteen or the Rolling Stones. Sorry, send in the hate mail. But as it turns out, I guess I'm not universally liked either, and neither are they. But you know what I've never heard anybody say? Tom Petty kind of sucks. Never heard that. And if some alien came up to me and said that they hated Tom Petty, I'd feel kind of like the donkey from Shrek when he's talking about Parfait, Right? He's talking to Shrek, and he says, who doesn't like Parfait? Everybody likes Parfait. They're delicious. Everybody likes Tom Petty. In fact, one of the reasons that 2020 sucks so hard is because Tom Petty is dead. However, Tom Petty is back, if only to break up the constantly inane political banter with the release of Wildflowers and all the rest. If you didn't know, Tom Petty's 1994 album, Wildflowers, is considered as best by most critics and most humans as well. After writing a bunch of pop rock hits with his band, The Heartbreakers, which you may have heard of, Petty created Wildflowers with super producer Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin did a lot of rap albums, and he resurrected the career of Johnny Cash later on. But Wildflowers was a completely different album from what Tom Petty had been producing before. From the early 70s onward, he did a lot of pop rock, as I said. And then around 1988, 1989, which we'll talk about, he started working with Jeff Lynne, who was a pop music super producer at the time. But he did a lot of heavy production, right? And Wildflowers was totally different. It was stripped down, 
It dealt with serious themes that he hadn't dealt with before. And it was a lot simpler than his previous records. And so as a departure, it really worked, right? So how much of a departure was Wildflowers, you might ask? Well, five years before it came out on Full Moon Fever, Tom Petty released a song about teenagers running amok in Los Angeles like vampires. And he called the song Zombie Zoo. On Wildflowers, he's writing songs like It's Only a Broken Heart and Hard to Find a Friend, the latter track featuring Ringo Starr on drums. But all in all, it's still pretty depressing compared to going out in LA all night and partying, right? So as I think about it, I don't know if Wildflowers is my favorite Tom Petty album. There are other contenders as well. But let me tell you that from 1994 to 2000, I wore that record out, right? I'd run through my favorite songs on that album constantly. Wildflowers, the title track, You Wreck Me, A Higher Place, until I was extremely sick of hearing those songs. And then I'd wait a day and start playing them again. And You Don't Know How It Feels had this great MTV video where they censored the word joint, right? The simpler times of 1994. You couldn't say joint on MTV. But when I got hooked on Tom Petty, it was 1989 when Full Moon Fever came out. That was his first solo album. And I was 11 years old. And five years later, at 16, I'm listening to this super introspective album about his divorce from his wife. And I have to say, I connected to both albums on a pretty deep level, right? Even though Full Moon Fever had probably everything to do with my life as a teenager and in college. And Wildflowers had nothing to do with what I was experiencing. And I think it's pretty damn impressive for an artist to be able to pull that trick. So Wildflowers and All the Rest is out now. And here's the story behind it. In 94, Petty was feeling so creatively empowered that he built this Wildflowers album as a 25-track double album. So when he took it to the studio heads, they were like, nah, that's too long. And Tom Petty, who never did anything that the studio heads wanted, he actually advocated for the price for his own albums, right? He wanted to set the price for his albums, which was kind of unheard of. He was like, okay, it's too long. And before he died, he seemed to be having second thoughts about that decision. So he was working on releasing Wildflowers as like the complete double album when he passed away. So now after some estate wrangling, see, I talked about the law, his daughter and some of his former bandmates published this album and they're calling it Wildflowers and all the rest. So here's what you can expect to hear on that album. There's several alternative versions of songs from the She's the One soundtrack, which was originally intended for release on Wildflowers, right? One of the songs is California, which if you haven't heard, is probably the best Tom Petty song you've never heard. And let me just say, She's the One, you've probably never seen that movie. There was never a better soundtrack for a crappier film. You're also going to find Leave Virginia Alone, which is a song that was originally recorded by Rod Stewart. And that song hit number one in Canada in 1995. Perhaps it goes without saying that Tom Petty's version is better than Rod Stewart's. So how much does Rod Stewart suck, you might ask yourself. It turns out a lot. Uh, he hated the song, and he had to be convinced to record it, which is another reason why Rod Stewart is the absolute worst. But we can cover that in another monologue. Other highlights you're going to find are previously unreleased cuts, like Something Could Happen, There Goes Angela, and A Feeling of Peace. And the new release also includes home recordings, concert recordings. You should definitely check it out. When it comes to Tom Petty, I kind of feel like Bob in Office Space, as played by John McGinley, one of the two Bobs, right? 
I'm a Tom Petty fan and I celebrate the guy's entire catalog. So as I mentioned, Wildflowers is Tom Petty's most critically acclaimed album, but he really hits super duper star status when he released Full Moon Fever, which is his first solo album in 1989. That includes songs you absolutely know by heart, Free Falling, I Won't Back Down. And starting in 1988 and leading right up until 96, Tom Petty was hitting blackjack on every hand, basically. Listen to this ridiculous run-through, this murderer's row of a discography for that period. 1998, Traveling Wilburys, Volume 1. Traveling Wilburys was a supergroup featuring George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison, and Jeff Lynne, who was a former lead singer of ELO and produced Tom Petty's albums at that time. You probably know the video for End of the Line where they're all singing in a boxcar, right? As I said before, 89, Full Moon Fever comes out. Tom Petty becomes like massive star at that point. First solo record. 1990, Traveling Wilburys, Volume 3. This one was released after Roy Orbison's death, and that included the four remaining members of the band. Fun fact, there was no Volume 2. 1991, Into the Great Wide Open. You probably remember the title track, Learning to Fly. Plus, there's this Johnny Depp starring video for Into the Great Wide Open. 1993, Greatest Hits. That includes two new songs, Mary Jane's Last Dance, featuring a memorable video where Kim Basinger plays a corpse. Trust me, it's good. And Something in the Air, a remake of the 1960s hit from the Pete Townsend project, Thunderclap Newman. 1995, Playback. This is an absolutely immense six-CD box set with the hits, B-sides, live tracks, unreleased songs. I've listened to this whole thing straight through a bunch of times. It's got 92 songs on it. 1996, the She's the One soundtrack. This is one with the Heartbreakers, and this is a great album that doesn't get enough respect put on his name, right? You get two versions of Walls, two versions of Angel Dream, a Lucinda Williams cover, a Beck cover, a song called Zero from Outer Space. This one's worth another listen if you haven't listened to it before. Because it's true that for nearly a decade, Tom Petty was throwing nothing but fastballs. And that's a list that even Mr. Lucek can be proud of. Now, along with this episode... We'll also be releasing my Tom Petty playlist on Spotify, which is a collection of some of my favorite deep tracks. That's actually going to be linked to this episode. So check it out. Take a listen. It's good to be kink. Long live the kink. Now, let's take a moment to listen to a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both Spanish and English. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com slash LTN. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things your law firm can have and Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. Okay, it's about time to get to the sardines in the middle of this sandwich. Let's interview our guest. My guest today is Megan Hargroder of Conversations Digital. Megan, thanks for joining us. Jared, thank you for having me. Can you tell the folks listening who you are, what you do? 
Yeah, so my firm, Conversations Digital, is focused on building what we call client-generating machines, uh, which is just a fancy way of saying websites that do their job. <laughs> client-generating machines, I like that. I hope that is trademarked, or you should do it before we publish this. It's not. I probably should, though. <laughs> I think website development is a really interesting topic, and I've kind of followed it loosely for a while, even though I couldn't design a website to save my life, and I'm very impressed with the people who can, right? And focusing on lawyers, too, is kind of an interesting niche also. So let me just ask you broadly. Here's a softball question for you. I promise softball questions. <laughs> what makes for an effective law firm website in 2020, end of 2020, the best year ever? Oh, the best year ever. So, uh, yeah. So I think that what makes for a good website is kind of matches up with what makes for a good business. And for law firms, that's something that really establishes trust um, and building trust online. So sometimes people are going to be coming to your website because they know you already and they're checking you out or someone told them about you. And sometimes it's going to be organic. So either way, someone needs to get to your website and they need to see that you do what they need. That's kind of the first thing. Um, yeah. it, do you have a message up there that says, you know, I help people do X or this is the area of law that I practice. They want to see that you're an expert in what you do, um, that you're trusted by others. So you can do that through testimonials, having your awards affiliations up there, um, right. and that you care about your clients and that you're passionate about what you do. So really a website that establishes trust. Great graphic design is, of course, you know, wonderful. And, yep. you know, we get a lot of attention for creating like beautiful websites. Um, but, but I love that your websites. Can I just say that? Oh, thank you so I'm just much. Gonna, I'm just going to say it. Yeah, we put a lot of love into them. But foundationally, I think what a lot of people do wrong is that they start with pretty boxes and colors, and then they try <laughs> to put words into them, and that's the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is, what's your message? What's your core message? You put that at the top. What story do you want to tell people? You put that next. What do they need to know yeah. about you? Are you, you know, did you get an award in something? Um, are you the best at this? Are you, do you have the most bomb testimonial ever? Uh, you got to put that on there too. And really treating your homepage like it is the whole website because it's 2020. Mobile traffic is outweighing anything right. else right now. And a lot of times people are on their phone and they're just scrolling through your homepage. So it's kind of like your one shot. That's an, that's an interesting concept there. So like, and I think a lot of what you say is right. Like it sounds simple, but executing that is actually really hard. And then the other thing I think is that lawyers are text people. They love to write stuff. Like they yeah. love to write. And a website like text has utility, but that utility is limited if there's too much of it. You don't want like a block of text, right? Nobody wants to look at that. But this notion you talked about, which is like, Getting the one shot with the homepage, because mostly the searches nowadays are mobile, that makes a ton of sense. So like, does that mean that you go with like a one page website or does that mean like you've got a really killer homepage and then you build out the site architecture behind it? Like, what does that look like for you and the firms you talk to? Yeah, if you're a brand new lawyer and you're just building out your website, that can start with just a one-page homepage website. Uh, but if you have just a one-page website, you're never going to develop SEO or search engine optimization, which means that when people search for your specific practice area in Google, they're not going to find you if you just have a one-page website. You've got to have some more detailed practice area pages, maybe a blog and some other things on there to like really rank in Google. So it depends on what your goals are. We work with a lot of people who are like, I don't care about ranking in Google because I have so many referrals that I just want to focus on that. And yeah. then we have way more people, though, who are like, 
Can you Everybody's get me like, on I'm, page I'm good. one? Go- I'm good for Google. Like, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the page one people are most of your clients, right? Everyone. Everyone's yeah. like, I want page one. I want the top spot on page one. And I'm like, okay, great. What is your niche? And 100% of the time, it's personal injury. And I'm like, <laughs> anything else. Let's talk about anything else to get you to page one. Personal injury is the hardest thing to get someone right. on page one for. Personal injury firms dump so much money into marketing. Like they're the one type of law firm that's willing to pay for search engine optimization. I've seen like at high levels. So much, hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. per month. And you can actually, there's this cool spy tool that I use called SpyFu, S-P-Y-F-U. And you can put your competitor's website in there and it'll tell you how much money they're spending every month on Google ads. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Everybody check that out. And then if you're a lawyer in any practice area outside of PI, you can see what little your competitors are spending. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, well, that's what I talk to people about. It's like a low bar, right? Like a lot of lawyers, if you're not talking about a PI firm, like to be able to overspend your competitors, it's not like you need to back up the Brinks truck, right? You just need to do a little bit more. Yeah, and a lot of times you don't need to spend at all. Like the more niche your practice area is, mm. um, if you have a really, really good website with good content and you know all of your SEO stars are aligned, you don't actually have to do all of that extra garbage. It's all going to be dependent on what your competition looks like. So the more specific you are, the better you're going to do. And I always try to get people to niche in further than what they're comfortable with. And, you know... Everyone's always very happy and excited that they do. Like you would be surprised how specific. Well, you wouldn't. You've seen how specific niches can get. <laughs> well, people, you're like, so animal law, way too broad. I want you mm-hmm. to focus on tortoises, that kind of thing. Yeah, or yeah. like Torti- Tortoise law plans. is huge right now. Tortoise law, you could do succession plans specifically for parrots. Right. You know, that right. would be a whole thing. If anyone wants to do that, please call me. I'm like really dying to do branding for something like that. I feel like uh, this would be an appropriate time to talk about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Charlie Day's focus on bird law. But bird I don't law. Want, I don't want to get us too, too, down, too down the line. That's later. Two things that I thought were interesting. Like you're anticipating a lot of the questions I would have had for you. So number one is like, SEO ready websites, which is a Mm -hmm. concept I talk about all the time, is that even if you're never gonna utilize SEO at a high level, it's important to make sure your website is SEO ready in the sense that like you can do that effectively later on. And also that you could make an impression in search, maybe not top ranked pages, right? But like make an impression in search without having to pay for it, right? And one of the things you talked about designing practice area pages that Mm -hmm. speak to keywords and key phrases, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's undersold a lot for attorneys. Yeah, so foundationally, I wanna say this part because I feel like this gets missed a lot. Um, You want those pages to be part of your website. So you want it to be your domain backslash the name of the page. Um, There's this big trend going on that I don't know who's recommending to lawyers to create all these external landing pages and then try to send traffic to these, you know, random landing pages. And that's that's such garbage because you're throwing your SEO away on, you know, it should always be connected to your site. So typically you want to have like a handful at most of really detailed practice area pages is what's ideal for SEO. You want to have at least 600 words on there, not block paragraphs, break it up. Google loves bullet lists, different sections for things. More words, the better, but they have to be good. So don't copy paste any garbage from anyone else's website. (laughs) 
and don't write don't write like a lawyer. So if you yes. want to rank in search, you're bringing you have the to heat, write, Megan. Keep going. Yeah, I, I'm here for it. You got to write at a seventh grade reading level, and that's really difficult. That for may a be lot high, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that might be a thing where you write your practice area page and you give it to a copywriter and you say dumb this down to like regular people words um if you just if you can't do it um but i always ask for that from lawyers i'm like seventh grade reading level and then they'll give me something back and i'm like what what seventh grade class were you in (laughs) right did you skip the seventh grade altogether to go to college yeah they're bad at it it's true like i think there's this massive disconnect between lawyers consumers generally and part of that is the way they write so like let's extend on this conversation a little bit because i think this is interesting so you talked about content marketing also Mm -hmm. And I think it's pretty cool that you're willing to come on here and say, hey, not everybody needs SEO, right? Like you can build out a content marketing profile on your own. And I'm a a big believer in content marketing, but like the thing that lawyers don't do is they don't put in the effort, right? Mm -hmm. So content marketing for most lawyers is like, hey, I wrote a blog post and I published it. And it's like, wait for pat on the back. (laughs) <laughs> they don't do anything else Slow but it clap. needs to be yeah it needs to be more aggressive than that right correct yeah there's a lot of different ways you can do content strategies outside of your website even um and one of the big ones is email marketing but again you have to do it right you have to do it really intentionally so yeah. i like to tell everyone as soon as you launch your new website to export your contacts from your email list and send an email out, not through your email platform, through a proper email marketing platform so you don't get can spammed. Uh, you mean not um, the native email application like MailChimp or something like that? Yeah, you want to use MailChimp or I prefer ConvertKit, but whichever is That's okay. Is fine. We're all friends here. Yeah, cool. Um, and let people know what you're doing, like who you are, what you're doing, and how you can help people and how they can contact you. Like 100% of the time, people get either leads or referrals just from sending out that email, letting people know. Because yeah. people don't know. Lawyers think like, oh, people know me. They know I'm a lawyer. But they might not know what exactly you do specifically. And the goal, right. like the ultimate marketing goal is for whenever one of your contacts, whenever someone asks one of your contacts, hey, do you know a good lawyer who could help with X? You want to be top of mind and you want to get that referral. So on one hand, it's like, yeah, it's 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 marketing, but I think referral marketing is and will always be the most powerful form of marketing. And there's a lot of digital tools and content-based marketing tools that can help you amplify that. I think what kind of gets lost in the mix, right, is that like content marketing can lead to referrals, right? So I think a lot mm-hmm. of lawyers think like, hey, I'm going to send this out and like I'm going to get 10 new clients. But you may send that out to your referral sources. You may send that out to colleagues and they send you a case like six months down the line. And I think that's overlooked a lot. Yeah, referral marketing is a long game. And it's one of those things where you want to treat everyone like they're a potential referral source. In terms of social media, I always tell people, you're probably not going to get a direct client from Twitter. That doesn't happen very often. It can. There's some instances where you probably can. So let's just say you're a DUI lawyer and you regularly publish on your Twitter account when where the police checkpoints are. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone who drinks and drives is going to follow you because they want to know where those checkpoints are. And if they do get in trouble, they're probably going to tweet you about it. So that's one example of where Twitter could maybe get you a client. But for the most part, you are tweeting to your peers um, for oh, their, yeah. their respect totally. and acknowledgement. Yep. And that's even more so on platforms like LinkedIn, right? Which is like a quote unquote professional 
networking resource. Yes, I'm on board with you in terms of content marketing. I think that makes a ton of sense. Let's turn to some other overlooked components of a website because I don't want to get too far away from the website conversation. So like, here's some things I talk to people about in terms of websites and I get questions about that you could answer. Rapid fire. Let's do it. Website backups, important, how important. ADA compliance, which is something I hear a lot of lawyers asking about in terms of websites. What are your feelings on that? And then security of information on a website. Thoughts? Okay, so we got backups, ADA, and security. I'm ready yes. for it. Backups, right. vital. Yes, do it. Better yet, use WP Engine as your hosting platform. It's superior to everything else, and it does backups for you automatically, so you don't actually have to worry about it. Boom. Uh, ADA compliancy. <laughs> this is a scam. Can you say boom has... after every, uh, after every <laughs> point, please? Exactly. Yes, absolutely. All right. ADA compliancy. It's basically this. It's basically a scam. Uh, there's a few factors that goes into your site being ADA compliant. It yes. primarily has to do with your text being text and not in graphic form uh, and your alt text being present. That's pretty much the gist of ADA compliancy. There's a couple other little things going in there. If you hire a professional developer to do your website, website, you're almost guaranteed it's ADA compliant, but there's something going on where people are trying to sell people this $500 ADA compliancy the kit, right? Yeah. It's yes. garbage and it's actually bad for your SEO. So don't do it. Nice. Um, Boom. And then site Sorry, security. Sorry, I did it there. Oh, I forgot it. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boom. Yes. And <laughs> site security um, is also really important. So because you will sometimes have clients giving you confidential information through your contact form, you want to make sure your site's secure. The number one thing you need for that is an SSL certificate. Start there. If you're using WP Engine, the SSL certificate is free. So circling back to use WP Engine makes your life easier. And then there's also this app that I can't remember the name of right now. But if you're using WordPress, there's an app that instead of going to backslash wp-admin to sign into your site, right. like the traditional login. Which everybody can guess, yeah. Which, yeah, most people can guess that your username will be admin and your password is something like... One, two, three, four. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> not. Um, but so, success 2021. Um, <laughs> really common password. I make everyone change that, by the way. But so you can install a plugin where you have an actual sort of like secret login. Secret logins, now you're talking. That was mm -hmm. great. Now, boom, number three, done. Boom. Let's talk about website text again. I want. Mm -hmm. I, I got two more questions for you in this segment. Number one, if you're going for non-text-based information on a website, what's most important? Images? And are those stock images or your own images? Or video? Or embedded content from other places? Or... Anything else? Like if, if you don't, if you're a lawyer who's traditionally used to writing stuff down everywhere, how do you convert <laughs> to like a different medium of communication? Well, you want to sort of blend it. It should all blend together to tell a story so that like the whole piece feels like a piece of work, right? It's not like here's some text, here's a video, here's a photo, here's some more text. It yep. should all flow together. So one of the things you can do is use a video to tell part of your story. Um, that's a really good way to sort of introduce yourself to people and let them get a feel for you as a person rather than just having a photo. A lot of lawyers look very unapproachable in their standard headshots with like the school background. And I have to say, uh, I've seen some bad ones. Some of this is like the hills have eyes. 
It's really not great. <laughs> Super creepy. Like people, so many people look It's okay really to smile. Yes. Yeah. It's like, why are you trying to intimidate your own clients? This is not the time for that. They're pipples. Um, That's why. And often, yeah, often a video will help to give people a feel for like being more comfortable with you. So I always yeah. recommend that unless you're really terrible on video, in which case don't do it. And then I like to use photos to really help tell the story visually. So I do what I call subliminal messaging. This is not subliminal messaging at all. This is just what I call it, where I'll have a section of text talking about something specific. And then in the background is an image that shows that. Oh, so maybe it's about like an uncontested that. divorce. And the image in the background is of a couple just like waving goodbye to each other casually, you know, but you've got the opacity level down so that the text over it's very visible. Very yeah, nice. subliminal messaging. I like all right, <laughs> subliminal messaging. I like it. <laughs> all right, last question for you. What is the most overlooked thing that law firms are not doing with their websites that they could be doing that would be very impactful in 2021? Success 2021. The attorney biography pages. That is the second most visited page on a law firm website after the homepage 100% of the time. Uh, if there's multiple attorneys, typically one is more popular than the other. But most law firms have the most generic, here's where I went to law school, and then here's right. some achievements, and I clerked with <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And no one wants to read that, and no one really cares. Like Those achievements belong in a bulleted list. But this is an opportunity for you to tell a story that people can connect with, for you to build trust with them by showing that you care about your work and what you do for your clients, and to like really show, like, show them what you're made of, you know? Yeah, that's great. Megan, you were great. This is <gasps> a fun interview. We're already done. That was really fast. That was um, so fast. I know, I know. So I wanted to thank my guest today, Megan Hargroder of Conversations Digital. She'll be back in a second, don't worry. Uh, Megan, can you remind everybody who you are, what you do, and then how can people contact you if they want to talk to you about website design and marketing? Yeah, so I'm Megan with Conversations Digital. We build client-generating machines for solo and small firm attorneys. And you can get at me at our website, conversationsdigital.com. Awesome. Thanks again. So we're going to take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. That's www.timesolv, leave off the e.com. Remember, that's T-I-M-E-S-O-L-V dot com. Your legal work requires your full attention. So how can you build lasting relationships with new or existing clients while juggling your caseload? Try Abby Connect, the friendly, highly trained and motivated live receptionists who are well known for providing consistent quality customer service and support to law firms just like yours. Every connection matters. So call Abby Connect today at 833-ABBY-WOW to get started with your free 14-day trial and $95 off your first bill. Welcome 
to the rear end of the legal toolkit, the rump roast is a grab bag of short form topics, all of my choosing. So today we're going to bring back our guest, who is Megan Hargroder of Conversations Digital, to play not one, but two games, a main game and a bonus game. Megan, <laughs> you live and work out of Portland, Oregon. True. Did you know that Portland in 2016 was ranked the second most hipster location in the world by MoveHub's International Hipster Index? Were you aware of this? Embarrassingly, yes. I was aware of this before I moved here. Correct. Oh, so was that one of the reasons why you moved? You were like, no. I got to go to this place. No, no, okay, no. That's no. fair. <laughs> so someplace in the UK was like the number one most hipster place in the world, apparently. I love Portland, by the way. Can I say that Portland is a beautiful city? I think most people don't know that it rains more in Portland than in Seattle, so it's very green and lush. So I'm a Portland fan. Yeah, it's beautiful. Now let me trash Portland for the next five minutes. No. Yes, I'm good at that too. I'm better at trashing it. I love it. It's beautiful, but yeah, we trash it a lot too. All right, you're going to like my game. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you five scenarios, and you're going to tell me how hipster these things are by rating it on a scale of one to five Carrie Brownstein heads. Okay. Are you good? Yeah, let's okay. do it. We're doing a little Portlandia stuff here. Okay. One to five Carrie Brownstein heads. We're just going to roll into these. One, okay. and then you rate it. Okay. Scenario number one. You make a complaint on Yelp about the bipartisan cafe because your vegan soy latte was too frothy, making the design on top look less like a heart and more like butt cheeks. How hipster is that on a scale of one to five Carrie Brownstein heads? Before I moved to Portland, I would have given that a five, but now that I'm like deeply ingrained in this, I'm going to go three. Yeah, because you're like, I want my latte to be served correctly. It could get worse. Yeah. Totally. All right. Scenario number two. Your one-man show at the Hollywood Theater bombed, but you're going to make some revisions and give it another go after talking it over with your friends at lunch. Carrie Brownstein heads, one through five. I'm going to go four. Four. Okay. Have you ever done a one-man show or one-woman show no, or one person show? No, but I've been show? to a lot of them. They're very big here. Yeah. See, I, I know the culture. I'm probably the furthest thing away. I'm, I'm so not hipster that people probably mistake me for a hipster sometimes. All right. Are you ready for scenario number three? Let's do it. You just gave side eye to literally all of the tourists lined up outside of Voodoo Donuts. Oh. Yeah, that's a solid four. Really? Okay, good. Good. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I'm hitting these pretty good. Yeah. All right. All right. Scenario number four. You don't like the new peach hibiscus IPA at Occidental Brewing Company. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't like it. <laughs> Maybe peach, but peach and hibiscus? Come on. This is a real thing that just happened to me, except it was some kind of like chai spice cider, <laughs> and it was really <laughs> offensive. Yeah, I'm going to go five on that one. Beer is just beer is just disgusting now. Like, I don't know. Like, can I just get like a regular beer? Like, can yeah, I have a Miller Lite? I don't you know. can't do What's that going here. On? I ordered a Stella in a bar the other day, and they're like, I'm sorry, what? They're like, Stella is not working right now. She's on the next shift. <laughs> All right. Scenario number five. The Buffalo Exchange didn't have any Mumford & Sons concert t-shirts this time. <laughs> Do we five. hit another five? Yes. Five. Yes. <laughs> um, 
anything you want to say about Portland before we move into mini game number two? Like stuff you like about Portland, perhaps? <laughs> Your favorite yeah, coffee shop? You know, Portland's beautiful. There's nature everywhere. I really enjoy all of the outside options here. It's good. Lots of outside. That was nice. It's a big mm-hmm. tree on the license plate. All right. Yeah. Are you ready for the bonus game? Yes. No, I don't do bonus games with everybody, but I think this will be fun. I so feel honored. My producer, Evan, who you talked to, and you just told me earlier you hate trivia. So I have a couple <laughs> trivia questions for you. Great. Because <laughs> I'm an ass. I wanted to give you some easy ones. Are you ready? I'm ready. Topic number one, science and nature. It's a true or false question. Okay. The giant sea cucumber can eat with its anus. True or false? I don't know what that is. True? That sounds true. It is true. Topic number two. Here's an easy one. The topic is quantum mechanics. Oh, great. I'm an expert at this. Great. Oh, perfect. So this should be easy for you. The question is, identify the total angular momentum states possible for the case L equals three, S equals 12. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Seven. (laughs) Very close. Very close. The actual answer is, The total angular momentum of an electron is the vector sum of its orbital and spin angular moments and is represented by J. Everybody can tell I was reading that, right? That was going to be my second guess. Yeah, it's pretty close, really. Um, (laughs) So see, you're good at trivia. Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm really (laughs) batting a thousand here. What's your favorite trivia topic? My favorite trivia topic? Yeah. Um, What do you know the most about? Other than Portland and hipsters. Gosh, I would say uh, probably TV. I guess oh, I would TV. do TV, okay. like, so, t- like comedy-specific TV. Okay, so, so here's what we're going to do. Okay. Those questions were actually hard, like everybody knows, right? So quantum mechanics, not my specialty either. So can you give people like one streaming recommendation that they should listen to or watch right now? Um, I recommend, just because of the climate of the goings-on in the world today, to binge watch something delightful that you've already watched. So I just finished rewatching all of The Office and Parks and Rec. Oh, wow. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah, I would go with that. Or Broad City. Broad City's really good. Not for everyone, but... Okay. That's good stuff. I just watched The Queen's Gambit, which is pretty good <gasps> on Netflix. Oh, I did just watch that. I watched. That's a, good I'm, I'm finished with all TV, basically. I yeah, yeah I watched that in well, a few nights. So we're, we're in quarantine, so like, what do, what do you do? You watch like five episodes of a TV show every night. On that note, I, re- I really have no way to tie this back in to the episode <laughs> structure in any way, but we're done with our games. Um, cool. So thank you, Megan. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah, this was a blast. All right, we'll do it some other time. Yeah, we should. However, that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where we at least went down swinging like Sonny List.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.